Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Kyle Denton of Tippy Canoe Herbs. Kyle and I have been fast friends for over a year. Uh, we met at the first Spiritaria Times Festival, and I have to say he and his family were just so cordial, so wonderful. And I just loved listening to the way that he connected with plants. He reminded me of, of some of the shamans I knew in Central America, where they really saw the plant kingdom as being an ally to humans. <laughs> and just like my friends in Central America, there was this little notion out there that we might be here for the plants and not vice versa. Um, you'll get you'll get a gist of that in this particular conversation. This podcast will lead us to bigger and better things when it comes to talking about the nature of light and also the nature of time itself. Because somehow, someway, time and light are interconnected. Thank you for joining us. I uh, really appreciate all the great support and feedback. We're in a deep freeze right now, but we're trudging through it. It's cozy time in the Ozark. So hope you enjoy this podcast and look forward to seeing you on the flip side. here today with my main man, Kyle Denton of Tippy Canoe Herbs. Kyle, you and I got to meet each other was a little over a year and a half ago or about a year and four months ago at the Baritaria Times Festival and you and your wife were just so gracious. That's the, that's the word my wife used, gracious. Like you, you let us kind of like hunker into your little tent area and our, our kids played together. And it was just such a nice time to get to meet you in person. Thanks. Yeah, that was, that was a, a great memory for me too. Just, we had a nice little power vortex at that particular time, right? With, uh, we had ourselves, we had James from Family Fungi's family there. Yes. And and yourself, Jason. And yeah, it was just like a uh, chance was there. Chance. We had a nice little power vortex and all the gravy seemed to just kind of flow right into our into the shade of our tent here. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Chance has uh, been the, the the big magnet of all, all of us podcasters. I had uh, Matt Presti on a few months ago and it's Matt lives about an hour north of me. Marty Leeds lives about five minutes east of me. Chance lives an hour west of me. So it's kind of cool. There's like a lot of good congregation going on at the moment here. I, I, there's a, to me, this area is the perfect environment. It's, um, and people that are kind of like a little bit somewhat self-educated that are like trying to find a place that, you know, has the Venn diagram of like good price to good location to good people like that whole thing there's a lot of people coming here it's it's really neat yeah it makes sense too because as far as like the geography is concerned if you were to just throw a 
a dart at the at the USA looking for the bullseye right there in the middle of the Venn diagram. That's where you'd be, Texas County. We got some land there too that we're um, splitting up and working on uh, selling parts of it and trying to figure out our our way, our entryway to that area right now too. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, that's cool, man. Come on down. <laughs> the, the more the merrier. I'm like trying to attract as many good people as possible. Um, I wanted to have you on the podcast uh, because I have had a fascination with plants. Uh, my best friend um, in Costa Rica, he he's a shaman. I'll, I'll just say it like he's a shaman. And the one thing he's impressed upon me for the last 15 years is just his overwhelming appreciation for the plant kingdom. And so um, he kind of got me into like really looking at how to grow uh, certain types of vines. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. And (laughs) also got me into like actually being aware of the vine energy like what this vine is in in the tropics and now that i've moved to the midwest it's very interesting seeing the grapevines and seeing what the grapevine is so similar in in its its bark and its rootiness it kind of has me wondering if there's any uh dmt qualities to it like the uh, jugubi would be in in the tropics but what i'm trying to bring up here overall is just that the he used the word years ago and to this day it just rings true for me these are our allies like the plants are our allies they're literally a gift like they're like <laughs> you have a certain sickness and you go out into your yard and you'll find a a, a a specific uh, herb that, or we'll call it a wildflower or weed that's growing and that will immediately help your condition. And um, just being alert to, to how God presents his gifts, how, how God nature like is always giving, there's always a gift around and um, the plant kingdom really shows me that all the time i i am a complete novice <laughs> i've only taken i've i've done a couple of permaculture design courses i'm i'm really good at making biochar but i know enough to know that i don't know anything <laughs> when it comes to the plant world and what's really going on like i've had some really cool observations but man i have such a respect for what you do and the depth at which you can like almost get to the alchemical level at which the, it, it's not just the the chemicals from the plant or the the material body of the plant but it's also the spirit you know it's the the essences the the more subtlety of these plants and uh i've really been listening to your work with chance garten over the last year like you guys every month do your astro herbalism. And I mean, I I'll hit those on replay and just learn and learn and learn. And, um, I just want you to kind of share some of your knowledge with, with this audience and let them like kind of bask in just in the great, in the gratitude of what 
this this kingdom that's ever present around us and what it's always providing. Yeah, thanks for serving me up with that. I that's a I mean this is a topic that I love to talk about and that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing here as an herbalist. Uh and when I call myself an herbalist as a, uh, identify as a community herbalist, there's a lot of ways that one can imagine themselves in that position with growing uh, plants in your garden, preparing things for your family. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, a title that, that has so much exclusivity to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that you can claim, right? Um, so for me, I claim, uh, that I work, um, clinically with people that I've learned through the tradition of Ayurveda and supplemented that through traditional Western herbalism, which is where I really found my love for herbs when I was learning in Ayurveda. And this was a great, a great skill for me. Um, it's the science of life. You have meditation, you have eating according to your constitution, you have body work, you have all these things. But for me, the thing that really pulled me in was the plants. That's what I knew I was on that path. But when they were shown to me and introduced to me, they were just like powders in a jar. And I didn't resonate with that. So I, because I was a forager, I was, uh, I really enjoyed learning about, I don't know, just learning about the natural world through experience and, and less through the um, textbook and, you know, this powder for that condition and so on. And so that's why I started learning about traditional Western herbalism from there. I got a farmer's market stand. I started making products. Now I'm in the manufacturing of medicine and I am in the, I run a business where we have an herb shop. I got a staff of 10 people. We got um, a, a nice business out of, out of all of this. And then all of the things that I, that I do clinically manufacturing, foraging, tending, gardening, um, handing stuff to people. The thing that I love the most is teaching because that is a really, really fun and humble way to learn about the plants. When you, when you're teaching, you really kind of have to be sharp in your field. You have to, you have to, uh, be able to know that there's going to be questions that come up that you, that you, you have to kind of foresee these types of things. And then also, um, explore what, what questions come up that you don't know. Um, and for me, the place that I find the most knowledge is from herbal allies, is from the plants. And I do that through a method, an old fashioned method that was coined by Paracelsus, who was a innovator of physicians back around the um, Reformation and 15, early 1500s in Europe. And Paracelsus was kind of a wild boy. He was going out, he was, he was the head of uh, physician school in Basel, Switzerland, which was like the prominent, like, mm -hmm. so anyway, so where it froze was Paracelsus and then he was sort of the wild boy and then it then it froze it got all gummed up okay so Paracelsus was well he was he was out um he basically was a um he got lifted into this prominent role as the head of a prominent school in Switzerland but he but he was uh tossed out of it because he was learning from the folk medicine all around the all around Europe, all around Asia at the time. And what he was concluding was that 
look, we're the educated class. We're the ones that can read. We're the ones that can speak in Latin. We even name ourselves in Latin. Um, but everybody else, you know, in this world has a way of communicating deeply with nature. We're up here dissecting animals and dissecting parts. And the folk the remedies are coming from people who have the same exact um, effects from these remedies, but they're not getting them through that way. So how are they getting them? They're getting them through communion and relationship with the plants. And for that, he, uh, he coined this term, the doctrine of signatures. And the doctrine of signatures uh, rest on the premise that there is a creation. So when I go into an art museum and I look at a painting with, it's painted in haste and it's capturing a fleeting moment with pastels and quick brush strokes. I could tell by the signatures of that painting that might be Monet. And I could even look at the very bottom right-hand corner and there is Claude Monet's signature. But then if I go out of the museum and I go into the garden and I go into the countryside and I go into the rivers and the streams, I also realize that I'm looking at a creation and the signs upon that creation, those signatures are the, are the signatures of our creator. And that's the first premise. And the second premise is that our creator, God, however you want to call this, is a, it wants, wants us to commune, wants us to commune with it, wants us to know it, wants us to know ourselves through the creation, and is giving us the signs and wonders in the heaven in order to, in order to grasp this. And as above in the, cosmo in the cosmos, so below on the ground and being able to understand the gift and, and seeing like, whoa, a new pine cone just dropped. Wow, who's this? Like, it's, it's God. Oh my God, this is beautiful. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a great way of learning through the doctrine of signatures. And so with that, it appeals. And if you look it up, the doctrine of signatures on the internet, it's going to tell you it's a pseudoscience and blah, blah, blah. But that's because they're operating, th those that say that are operating from the premise that there is no creation, that it's just a random bunch of uh, bill billiard balls that have smashed together. <laughs> right. And, um, and so when we're operating under the premise that there's a creation and that our God wants to uh, appeal to us is going to do it through uh, our imagination. It's going to bypass that logic and reason side. We can we can include that logic and reason side when we're when we've made the conclusions. But uh, just like poetry, just like verse, just like the verses of the Bible are written in verse because it's poetry because it's the intention is to appeal to this uh, poetic abstract side of of reality and to know things through that and so um, i believe strongly that the plants have uh, that we're able to communicate through the plants through our our senses and through that abstract sense of interpretation through the doctrine of signatures and i do call it a science and i call it that because i can go other places in the world and not know what the plant is, but know through the signatures and my study of doctrine of signatures, 
how a plant might be um, useful, I suppose, um, or something to avoid, or I can conclude things about a greater purpose. Like when we were talking about the vines, vines have a purpose and their purpose, uh, they have a purpose in, in ecology, you know? And so we can, I can, I can understand these types of purposes as well. And then from there, extrapolate a, a position, <laughs> a time, a, a, a season, a, a greater aspect of where I'm standing and, and, and in my own standing through the land. And uh, so I, I love learning through plants. Really, it is, like I said, it is extremely humble because you know that when you're learning through the plants, that you're being taught by the creator. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's something that's been in my life pretty prominent is that whenever I use the gifts that God gives, he bestows more. <laughs> and when I, when I shun the gifts, then it's, it's receded. It's like pulled back. And it's like, a it's a, if there's all this different, uh, I guess, Greek mythos around like you're given these, you know, wonderful gifts from God, but you don't use them. Well, guess what? This is your life when I take them away. I look at the plants and the herbs that way, because one, if if you are taking enough care to be aware and see that is actually showing appreciation, you know, that 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 is a sign of gratitude. And I have found in my life man do the land spirits speak when i'm in gr gratitude like when i'm in gratitude i find that i'm much more centered like i'm much more aware and present and in that presence my mind slows down enough to actually be aware of the subtle voice like the subtle the subtlety of the land spirits of the plants and um I had listened to an herbalist about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, it was an audio only podcast. And when she was talking about the plants, she brought to my consciousness that the plants move at a much slower rate than we do. And the busy mind that we have doesn't actually allow us to hear them. And at the time, I was very immersed into meditation. I was very immersed into like being prior to, you know, the voices, <laughs> all the internal monologues or epilogues or whatever. And uh, what she said really struck with me, it struck me. And she said another thing that she was doing so that she could hear the plants better was that she would not ride inside of anything that was metal. So she didn't drive in cars. She didn't fly in planes. When she traveled places, it was on horseback or on top of a motorcycle. And the the interviewer was asking her why. And she's like, there's something about riding in metal that doesn't, it, it cuts off the, 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 the empathy or telepathy that she was having with her plants. And that really struck me because for like two years, I didn't have a car and I was riding around only on a quad. And I never even thought at that moment to even think about like listening to a plant. Like that's crazy, right? <laughs>
but I had these two palm trees that I had planted. I had transplanted them from the ocean and I brought them up to my property, which is about 2000 feet up. And I was kind of depressed because they were, they were sickly. And I would go out early in the morning because I was doing my sky watching and I was sitting next to them and I, I really wanted to know, like, what could I do for them? Because they weren't doing well. And I really wanted coconuts. <laughs> they were coconut palms. And um, so I just started, I was just sitting there and I remember what she said and I just, I just got into a meditative state. And then all of a sudden, one of the one on my right was like, when you water us, you need to spray the palm fronds. You don't water us from the base. It was like, there's not enough wind up here. Our, our palm fronds aren't moving. And I was like, at first I thought I was nuts. I was like, uh, and then I just trusted that that was a, that was a, a proper signal. I started to do that and they took off. They literally grew. Like when my baby was born, she was supplemented with coconut water from the coconuts of those coconut trees. Wow. Like, like my wife, my wife wasn't in that much milk. And so my daughter, like she got coconut water and, and what little milk my wife was producing at the time for like the first three months of her life. And it was, I really attribute it to just listening, like just being, being with them, having the intention to know, like I had the intention to know what I could do for them. And there was an immediate reciprocation. And at the time I wasn't, you know, positively ionizing my body by riding in a, you know, in a car all the time. I was literally open air. I didn't have air condition or anything like my body was in the natural rhythm state of its surroundings. You know, you're also, your intention was not to harvest or maybe not harvest, but your intention was to help these plants. Yes. You're sitting, you're sitting there, uh, being basically asking, will you, will you help me learn so that I can help you as opposed to, um, what, <laughs> where, which one of you can I chop down for your, for your use? And this is the thing about the, the culture of commerce in general is that in addition to all these subtle ways that we're taking away from our telepathic communication with the natural world, um, there's also a bottom line. There's also, you know, how how can I make use of of this plant as opposed to um, how can I wor work with this plant? What can I be? What can I do in service of this relationship for the for others? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's I think that's kind of the shamanistic healer's approach is carrying that. Um, in your, in your consciousness at all times, just, just knowing that, um, that there is a, a station, uh, that, that has a burden and the burden is, um, self-sacrifice as well. And also humbling and being still and getting out, getting out from, uh, daily convenience and take making time to learn from the na from nature and um, so i'm always correcting my my language because a lot of the times that i'm introduced to 
um, teachings about plants and stuff like that, it has this language of like, what is it used for? This is used for that. Uh, this, uh, this plant is use, useful for fever and blah, blah, blah. And there it is. That's the, that's the catch. That's the separation. There We are now uh, severing the relationship aspect that we have with a God-given ally and, and that's like, that's like me, um, asking myself, what is Topher useful for, you know, <laughs> instead of just sitting down and having a conversation and building a friendship and seeing where that goes. It's so um, sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Like I, I do this all the time when I'm working on people's astrological charts, I like the 10th house is like when somebody asks you, what do you do? That's what the 10th house is. Yeah, totally. There's so much of that in the Western world. Like, like it's like, yeah, so what do you do? And then that's all you are. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's literally like, you know, like it's such a small percentage of what you actually are, you know? And if you really look at it, what you do and what you provide changes all the time, you know? And like, we see that with the plants, with how the seasons change and like, at different parts of its growth cycle, like the the effectiveness of what is actually there relative to you, and then the effectiveness of what it is relative to that which is around it. Like it's just, it's extraordinarily humbling once you really start to witness the the utter, like the utter complexity and just perfect design that nature is. Like it's it's utter perfection. Absolutely. Totally agree. I'm thinking about like um, a really good way to introduce this to people for like medicine making. And that is um, following the energy of the plant at the time that it's there. So there's this old um, Native American saying that the best time to get the kinikinik from the, from the red osier dogwood Kinikinik means smoking blend. The best time to get the kinikinik is um, after the ground has thawed, but before the first thunderstorm. So that's saying there's this like point of time uh, in the spring before the spring is officially there. Mm -hmm. And what it's actually signaling is, I mean, it's a, it's a myth and you can see greater cycles of nature, but also it's a specific instruction to follow the energy of the plant because you're harvesting the bark and the energy is moving through the bark at that time. It's not going to be in the bark uh, a few weeks later. It's going to be in the leaf and then it's going to be in the bud. So getting a jar, uh, having a little bit of alcohol or something like that, making a basic tincture starting this spring and working through the stages of a plant. You could do something that, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's highly likely that the plants that we need are all around us within, you know, a few hundred feet, like they're there. And I, I know that it's, uh, it's also interesting how plants just kind of volunteer themselves up uh, in a retroactive causality kind of nonlinear way to uh, be supportive of something that we might need in the future, like a, a cough or something like that. It will see this, this weed that comes up and then eventually in the fall, when you have a cough, so anyway, going back to that, like you can say like a dandelion, let's just say dandelion in the springtime, you can gather the, the leaves. They have a particular type of energy in the leaf that's different in the fall. In the fall, the leaf is going to be more, it's going to have more uh, bitterness to it. It's going to have more 
um, salicylic acid, which is going to be thinning of the blood. In the springtime, the plant makes itself available for spring cleansing or uh, helping with moving excess interstitial fluid from the cells through the kidneys and so on. Mm-hmm. Putting some of that into your jar and uh, Mother's Day comes around, there's the buds, up some of those in there. The buds are extremely helpful for lymphatic movement. Again, the interstitial movement, but specifically lymphatic uh, helps with breast and underneath the underneath the lymphatic glands, underneath the, uh, in the torus area. Okay, that's when that's when it's popping up, and then uh, later on in the summertime, uh, you know, the, the, first of all, the dandelion encodes many things too. It encodes the sun and the moon and the stars and everything like that. And you can ponder that. And then finally, when the when it's uh, the fall and everything is shrinking its energy back into the root. Sorry to move my hands there. Shrinking its energy back into the root, bringing it back back down. Uh, to rest its energy and condense itself for the winter, that's when we go grab that energy, um, you know, with gratitude for the for the final portion, which is the rootedness. As we move into the season, which is about the air, which is about dryness, which is about the mind, and have some medicine, which is not only helpful for the liver and bringing us stimulating our body back inward through the digestive response, but also a tap root that has this signal to our body to enter into a place of groundedness and rootedness. And there you followed the dandelion for a season. You've got to know it really well. Um, by the end of the season, you'll start to, you'll learn that there's probably just about everything that you're going to face <laughs> as far as like mild, uh, mild discomfort and, um, detoxification events are concerned that the dandelion will be supportive of. And then you have this full spectrum medicine that includes all of your intention, gratitude for its ability to be so abundant and present in your, in your yard, in your garden. And I say dandelion, it can be any plant that, that you can think of, but that's the idea is that moving through the seasons, uh, there are different forms of medicine. They are, they're applicable to the season and to uh, to also under, having a broader perspective of the season in our own body and how relating those uh, changes of the season to how our body is shifting as well. It's amazing. We, um, for about 10 years, I was building with bamboo. And I had taken the Schauberger principles of, of how to harvest, you know, wood correctly. There's all this lore in, you know, Austria and the Alps of like exactly when you should harvest wood for it to be a viable construction grade product. And I moved down to the tropics and I always love playing with big sticks <laughs> and there's no bigger stick than, you know, uh, they call it, uh, it's the Gigantica uh bamboo they they average about 120 feet long at the base they're anywhere from you know 10 to 12 inches in diameter just really we call it mancha the the outer you know wall of it just super thick and bamboo is a type of grass i don't know what you call grass in in from an from a professional perspective but grasses love to be cut and they really love to be cut at the right time. 
because then the roots, the rhizomes go deeper and you get more nutrients and yada, yada, yada. But we found with these bamboo, like people were just cutting them all willy nilly. And the locals were like, they had some sense of like the timing of things, but they would say, oh, cut during what's called minguante, which is it's eight days after the full moon. So it's it's essentially um, a waning moon cycle. The water is low in the rhizome, so it's not going to be actually up in the actual cane itself. And it's just like a practical thing to do. You cut then because the cane doesn't weigh, you know, 400 pounds, it weighs 300 pounds, that type of thing. <laughs> and, um, but we kept seeing, like I was working with the Firestone Plantation and they had been, um, they had been essentially harvesting bamboo for about 15 years and I worked with Bamboo Tika and I was just seeing failure after failure after failure. And it was really annoying because I wanted to like have bamboo construction really take off. And uh, I was like, man, I was just watching the bamboo one day and I ended up going down. My friends were surfing and I went down to the beach and it was like the lowest tide of the year. Like that you have low tides and then you have like the lowest tide of the year. And I noticed how far the water had receded from the beach. And I just took a mental note. I was like, this is actually when the bamboo should be cut like this. And so the next year, it wasn't on the same date, you know, because all the natural rhythms aren't aren't tied to the Gregorian calendar that we have. Mm -hmm. But the next year we cut then and dude, it was the most perfect bamboo. Like it didn't rot, it didn't get the black mold, it didn't get the powder post beetles. And I was just astonished. I was like, yeah, you can cut them in Guante all those other months of the year, but no, it needs to be the lowest tide in February. And so I wondered in my consciousness, I wonder like, you know, in February you have the the you have the water bearer, which is Aquarius, which is actually the air, you know, the air quality, it's an it's an air elemental. And that was the biggest problem with bamboo is that it would rot from the inside out. If the humidity was too high on the inside, its entire life, the homeostatic pressure would like try and push the water to the outside, and then it would suck it back in like a straw. So you get tons and tons of black mold. And then it just made like, learning what I was learning in Ayurvedic medicine and then learning what I was learning in astrology. I was like, dude, you know, Aquarius, like, cause it's very interesting because bamboo loves growing in very wet conditions, but it should only be harvested in the driest of the dry, which in the tropics is, is February, you know, cause the rains start to kick up in March. And so that was like one of the biggest like reflections in my consciousness of around timing, how a plant actually presents itself, what it wants relative to like the 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 sky clock, when it's going to most benefit. Uh, like, because another thing too was I noticed when we started harvesting only one time a year, 
at that time of year, dude, my combs just, just exploded. My farm went from like having maybe, you know, 30, 40 canes to like having hundreds and hundreds of canes of like wow. bigger, better, like, you know, quality. It's just really amazing to just to really go through that whole practical thing. And then I started to see that when we would harvest at that time of the year, the plant really liked it because when it would first shoot, it had this like this like it wasn't a flower, but it looked like a flower from the, like a spiral that would come out of the top of it that I had never noticed before when we were harvesting at all times of the year. So it was almost like that vortex energy was like, yeah, you figured it out. <laughs> yeah, you totally figured it out. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Aquarius and harvesting and the movement of uh, that earlier today too. I was thinking about because in Aquarius, the the water bearer, you know, Aquarius is, um, if if uh, you got twelve guys in the huddle and you tell them uh, to go long on on three. Aquarius is going to go backwards on two. <laughs> it's like the the odd one out, right? So it seems like there's a lot of backwardness with um, Aquarius. And so, uh, as far as I'm, as far as uh, the, what I deal with in plants when when it's in the Aquarian season, and I'm I mean like relatively both tropical and true sky sidereal this time of the year, the 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 melting point between phlegmatic. Uh, humor and the sanguine humor we could also say there there is a um a pressure differential that's being created by the static electricity aquarius having a lot to do with um ele the electricity kind of starting to um be part of part of the air it's like in a, a very dry time of year so there's there is uh and then also um, this is when in the Northern hemisphere in my area, this is where the sap of the maple trees are starting to flow. So mm. that's when you have, um, this kind of backwards movement of that, of that pressure differential pulling, pulling, um, the, uh, not necessarily the, the water from, from the, from the earth, but, um, but the movement of the water of the plant is kind of like waking up again. And so the way that I, the way that I was thinking about it today in my consciousness is that the sun, when the sun is in Aquarius, we could say, um, we don't see it. And so we're the, the, the Bible verse that is, we walk by faith and not by sight is applicable here because um, what we're seeing in the nighttime is the opposite. So we're walking by the faith that knowing that behind the uh, eyes of the soul, there is a water bearer going from east to west, pulling its water up through the heavens behind the sun. And, and in fact, like pu pulling that water through the, um, the tree. And then also being a humanitarian sign, there's this uh, story that I was reminded of which is the Native American version of how we got maple uh, syrup, which is once upon a time, there was Nani Buju, who was kind of like a, um, I don't know, a, a creator slash trickster. Um, anyway, so Nani Buju is this giant and he's walking around and he sees all the people and all the people are standing there in February and they got their eyes 
up to the sky and their mouths open. Ah. Uh, and he's asking, he's looking around, what are they doing? And they're just waiting for the sweet syrup of the maple tree to drip into their mouth. And they're just pacifying themselves like zombies. Nowadays, we're just like, uh, with our heads pointed down. But they were, back then, they were, uh, with their heads pointed up. And he was like, this is, this is not good. This is, all the people are going to, they're just not going to get anything done. No, nobody's going to chop the wood. Nobody's going to tend the fields. Nobody's going to, everybody's teeth are going to rot. So he takes the maple tree, breaks it in half, pees in it. <laughs> and he's a giant. So he just like fills it up with pee. And of course, that's the Aquarian water bearer too. And then he puts the, the top back on. And now the sap is so diluted that it has to be, so, it takes a community effort. It takes the humanitarian effort in order to make the sap. And so now uh, I love that story because it's just like, it, it, it does tell the story of the spirit of the plant, but it also puts it into this greater cosmological cycle. And so if you wanted to pass your story down through time of harvesting and manchas, you know, um, you can, uh, like that would be the, the way to bypass the, I don't know, the rottingness of, of logic and time and, and how things are passed down through paper, but passed down through myth. And that's what I see with that Nanabuju story and Aquarius and the water bearer pulling the water up at the time that it's pulling it up and, and so on. That's awesome. That is awesome. It's really nice to be living in a drier environment to actually understand static. Um, I was I was trying to build like Lord Kelvin static generators, like the lightning machine down in the tropics, and it was a real problem. I had to go up to like 9,000 feet of elevation to have a dry enough condition where it would actually, I could get that. And here I have like, I go touch my dog and I'm like zapped. <laughs> so it's it's just a lot of fun i'm gonna get back into that building static field generators and having that 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 lifting you know um like it's a levitational force like it's an electrostatic like it is lifting i love how you you brought up the fact that the water bearer is pulling it's pulling the water away because this is something that a, a bunch of people that I've brought this up to, they kind of think I'm crazy. But you as a herbalist and just where I know where your mind's at, I'd like to get your opinion on it. Um, and this will lead me to like what I wanted to really talk to you about with light. <laughs> so I've noticed for a very long time that when the light is coming from the east, it's much, much more intense. Once it hits the apex, like once it's over my axis mundi, like the best way I could say it, if 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 we were like, you know, say June 21st, you know, and let's say that was exactly the uh, the summer solstice, at the apex of where the sun would be directly over me to the east, when it's making its way to that point, the energy of the sun is more intense because it's pushing at me. Hmm. So at 11 o'clock, the sun is much more intense than it is at one o'clock. 
even though the overall uh, thermal gain of the land would tell me the temperature is higher at one o'clock than it is at 11 o'clock, even though they're at the same arc length away from me. But there's a difference in when the energy is coming at me relative to when it's going away from me. Does this make yep. sense? Yeah, it does. Uh huh. I, I got some thoughts about that. And it and just to make the like so people understand what I'm saying is is like the 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 example I'm giving is at twelve o'clock the sun would be directly above at eleven o'clock it'd be at the same arc length as it would be if it was at one o'clock but no matter where I've been in the world in the morning when the sun is coming from the east the the thirteen mile arc of Seoul. <laughs> that's in the sky, as it's moving towards its apex, it has a penetrating pressure. Mm -hmm. And when you said like, you know, Aquarius is pulling the water away, that's what I feel like when the sun is going to the west. Mm -hmm. After it meets its zenith, the light is still there. Yes, the ground has its thermal gain. Absolutely, I'm not denying that. But if you can actually feel the sunlight, like after it passes its zenith and it starts to go to the west, even if it's at the same arc length away from you, it's a different intensity. Yeah, yeah, that that actually makes that makes perfect sense to me. I I don't know much about the study of light or what it, what it is. I guess I could uh, I could say. Um, a synonym for what you're just talking about is illumination too. And I can relate it to my, uh, this objective map that I have. It's kind of like a, um, it's a map that I use for determining the point of illumination. And it's also, sub, I think it would be subjectively um, on point with what you're talking about. So it's, it's the... Uh, the four four sided like if you were to take a circle and I'm trying to do this without moving my hands too much because when I move my hands it it makes the it makes the zoom cut cut out so imagine a circle right in front of you like a clock face and then instead of going up down left right you're going you're making an X and those four those are the four uh, winds I guess you could say there's the winds of the east which in Greek humoral medicine is the sanguine, and that's the springtime. There's the wind of, and, and, and that is related to um, science and uh, logic and new ideas and the new day and the spring and um, things that are kind of coming at you, coming toward you in this direction. Um, then there's the the wind of the south, which is the choler, choleric, this is um, about your experience, your personal experience, and um, your hands-on learning. And it has a lot to do with the summertime and that type of stuff. In the West, we're looking to the, uh, the, uh, the traditional uh, way of, this is like, the, this is tradition. This is the way that it was done. This is the ancestry. This is the fall. Um, and in the North, we have... Um, 
the melancholic, which is the, uh, or sorry, that's the phlegmatic, which has a lot to do with the um, aha, intuition, going into center. The north moves towards, so the, the north is the direction without the light. And we know that from like, if we could put that same clock on a zodiacal wheel, we could say that that's the time of the year that doesn't have the most light. And this is when we go in, into our own personal north, our own personal access mundi to find that um, revelation, as opposed to learning that revelation through science, learning that revelation through uh, what the books say in the West or, or through our own experience in the summer. And so uh, to me, I'm just imagining when I'm, when I'm thinking about something that's illuminating to me, I'm imagining where, where on this particular map or dial I'm facing where that light is coming from. And if that light is coming from inwards from the north. And then additionally, there's two other axes. There's tension and relaxation. So we have hot, cold, damp, and dry. We have the four elements in that in that particular map, spring being, um, or summer being hot, winter being cold, et cetera. And, um, and then we have tension and relaxation, which is about having a lot to do with that, the, the pressure differential um, and how much space this direction is encompassing um, or how much pressure it is applying to us or how much of pressure we're applying outwards or holding against that particular thing. And so if we can uh, use that as a foundation and also um, with the way that you present your, the, the way that the sun presents to your access Mundi as a personal, um, almost a personal relationship with light, like the light, actually needs <laughs> needs us in order for it to work or something like that and this is where i'm where i i start to get into the point of conjecture i wonder if uh i wonder if it has a lot to do with you know uh, being able to observe which direction we're looking at it from if that makes sense to you i really feel so so, but, so i'm just going to lay my current cosmology on you <laughs> <laughs> and it's an evolving thing. I don't I the period hasn't been put at the end of the sentence, right? So I see light in the vein of um how Nikola Tesla described it. That light is essentially a sound wave moving through the ether. But people need to look at the ether as a solid. So like the space that we occupy right here is space. Like, this is space. Like, for me to be able to move, I need space. The ether is a medium that's very subtle, but it's subtle and solid at the same time. So when one part of the ether moves, the other part is instantaneously moving. It's an instantaneous thing. And I, that's called, in, in scalar physics, that's called a longitudinal wave. It's like, it's just like the best way to think about it. It's not a wave that's actually moving. It's just like if you had a broomstick and you were holding a broomstick here and it was four feet long, the second your hand moves, the broom, the other end of the broomstick is moving at the exact same time. Like it's instantaneous action and it's quote unquote in a distance, but to the ether, it's not a distance at all. 
And so what light actually is, is known as a coaxial circuit. Like, so for light to actually be working on, you know, consciousness, it needs consciousness to actually work. Like there, there has to be a point of reference of, of the witness. And that witness might not be you as the witness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's other witnesses than just you. So this isn't a solipsistic thing. So you have a witness and then light, and they're both working at the same time. Like, and so the it's a if you were to think of it, if you were to like eliminate space, then there, then there's this coaxial circuit between the quote unquote light source out there and the witnesser. You know, and this goes all the way back to the deepest of Raja Yoga. This goes all the way back to like pure Vedanta Advaita. And so the axis mundi, which you could just say is the center of you as the witnesser, whatever is going on in your in your realm of experience is being witnessed, right? And when you're not aware of it, you can't say whether or not it exists. <laughs> Now, I don't know if it does or does not. I'm of the mind that I'm not the center of the universe, so I think things exist without my awareness of it. But yet, when it comes to phenomenon, the the actual phenomenal uh, interplay of light, it absolutely depends on the witnesser. Like, it, there, there, there is just... Like, why is it in our culture that it, not even in our culture, let's just be like, just like um, simplistic about it. For us to actually have the experience of what we're doing, it, we actually have to have the ability to see and move and do all the things that we do with space and light. Like, that's just what's happening for us, right? So light is obviously a very massive aspect to our consciousness. And all the things of like going unconscious, you know, um, when people talk about death or right, you know, there's always, a, there's always a description or there's always an observation of the quality of light, like what's actually happening in light. Oh, the lights went out or whatever. Like light is obviously, you know, one of the most massive aspects of our experience in in having the observation of how light is at different times of year, it's very obvious how that affects our environment, our external environment and our internal environment. So what I'm trying to figure out is it's, I think light is actually the key to understanding time, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And I know in Ayurvedic medicine, like in the massage that I do, which is, oh, my little girl is up early. <laughs> um, I've been attuned to different qualities of heat. Like you were talking like there's a wet heat, there's a dry heat. Um, I love the words that you were using earlier, sanguine, like all these words are like, they're so specific because when you touch, like when I touch different clients because of my dosha as being a fire dosha, I'm, I'm 
very rajasic and I have a lot of pitta energy. How my point of point of awareness will interact with another body would be different than somebody that say is air dominated, right? So in having over 20 years of experience with, with feeling and understanding that, okay, because I am emanating a lot of fire, when I interact with, you know, an, a body that's dominated by earth and water, or if I'm dominant, if I'm working on a body that's dominated with air, there is a completely different interaction. I guess what I'm trying to get to is what is that relative to light? Because I'm recognizing that not all light is the same. Mm -hmm. Is it? Is this yeah. making? I know I kind of like went all over the place with that, but I, I'm, I'm just yeah, trying so, to get a, a like. Okay, we have if we're we have the, some the question of light as timekeeping um, that maybe I can address first, and I or at least some yeah. thoughts that I have on that, and then we go into the constitutional aspect, but. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about um, old growth forest and I'm thinking about how um, the old growth forest have a, <laughs> a timelessness to them. And, and in an old growth forest, whether it's of, you know, a boreal type thing or, or um, an oak savanna or tropical forest, what I'm describing is there is a canopy that shades out the sunlight and what happens underneath the canopy happens very slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, whether, whether that is the growing of, you know, the understory and all that stuff. And just by being in places like that, you know, walking around in places like that, it really does have, um, a change of pace in, in your regular time. I, there's been times where because there's an old growth forest not far from from me, and I spend a lot of time there. And I'll go in there, and I'll spend what I feel like is two hours, <laughs> and I'll come out, and I'll still have um, plenty of time in my day to do what all all the things that need to be done, including you know business, family, responsibilities, all this stuff, where I could never calculate losing two hours in my day <laughs> at the beginning of the day. Like, I don't see, I don't see how that would be, how that would work. So I do think that there's some sort of uh, relativity to, to time in a place like that. And then I'm, I also thought of, um, there's this forest that's not far from where I am now. I'm, I'm visiting my in-laws here in Northern Italy and it's called Foresti di Violini, Foresti di Violini, which is the forest of violins. And it's up in Bolzano, area of the Dolomites. And in this particular area, it's the legend has it that as the, um, the glaciers were, were kind of coming in to this part of Europe back in the last ice age, they receded right there because there's a south facing slope and yada, yada, yada. And where they receded, there was these, um, there's this massive stand of these Norwegian spruce. And these Norwegian spruce didn't, uh, because they didn't get wiped out and because they're, they are presenting this old growth kind of lack of light canopy, they grew really, really, really slowly. And their, their ring density was so tight 
that when Mr. Antonio Stradivari came up one full moon night is, is that he, this is his diagnostic technique, was it? It can only be done on the full moon. He put his ear to these trees. This is the inventor of the Stradivarius guitar, or violin, sorry. And he would take a hammer and he would hit these uh, Norwegian spruce and he would hear them ring. And so you were talking about the relationship between light and sound as uh, uh, a, a, a vector of vibration. But I'm also thinking about like the, again, the timelessness of it, because of course, um, those are timeless instruments that are only, that can never be replicated. And even like, there's plenty of other further secrets that uh, this, I don't know, alchemist of, of musical instruments of a luthier didn't disclose and a lot of them was legend but that's one of the legends and so that checks out as far as like modern geological science is concerned that these particular trees are um, extremely dense and um, capable of holding that vibrational sound um, and <laughs> I'm even thinking about the spirit of the trees holding that vibrational essence from, I don't know, holding their position in uh, in a time of cataclysmic uh, climatic upheaval on the mountain and the spirit of these particular trees that's old growth forest that lives, lives on still um, in that particular plant that uh, is the je ne sais quoi that comes out in the, in the, um, stroke of the violin who knows i think that's really interesting so uh that's where my mind goes when it, we're talking about light and time and and sound and um those types of things i i'm also I'm, i was also thinking about um just just myths the myths in celtic lore we have the myth of the green man i mentioned this to you where the green man is a uh British Isle kind of figure is the wild is the wild man. It's uh, maybe it's a sylph. Maybe it's a um, elemental of the air element, and as as uh, Steiner might say, the green man. And the green man is vying for the affection of Mother Earth. So it's this positively charged uh, uh, vying for the affection of Mother Earth. And in the summertime, in the summer solstice, when the light is high. The green man is personified as the oak tree and then is dethroned when the sun goes low and is personified as the evergreen holly tree, the holly king, and has a, a big, long white beard. And this is why Santa is covered with holly leaves and yada, 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 and or maybe one of the reasons why. Um, but there's that interplay between the high light of the year and the low light of the year and just evergreens in general, what it means to be evergreen. Um, always lending your, always lending <laughs> whatever it is that green lends, which is the color of the heart, which is the color of life, which is uh, the pr production of, you know, life, oxygen, and so on. That's, that's what comes to my mind. That's wonderful. There's, I'm, I've been entertaining this calendar that's been invented just recently. And I've been, I have to admit, I'm very self-centered in my research with this because I've been building domes that are essentially based off a pentagon slash pentagram. You can fit a pentagram inside of a pentagon. 
And so I'm highly fascinated with the phi ratio and how that shows up in pine cones. Like ever since reading Schauberger and Steiner, like I have phi ratio on the brain. So when I found this Japanese star dome that was built, it was actually concocted from a Japanese mathematician that was looking at a different geometries and then popping them into three dimensions. Um, he found that the, the pentagram or pentagon made a perfect under tension hemisphere. And I should have known that from ever because when I was a little kid playing soccer back in the day in the 80s, all the soccer balls were essentially just a bunch of pentagons put together, right? And so like the, each little square on the side that would comprise the ball to get a round ball wasn't a square, it was a, it was a pentagon. And so this shape is is everywhere in nature you know because the penta the pentagon is one of the only shapes that there are that has in the pentagram that has an incommensurate geometry and when you look into incommensurate geometries that is like the it is you talk about doctrine of signatures that is like god's like uh antenna for for intelligence like the 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 an incommensurate geometry is it, it is if you were to make an antenna array out of it that's where all the highest order information comes through and so this new calendar that i've been giving my attention to and i'm interviewing the gentleman tomorrow about it um he created a calendar where you have summer as one season and that's the apex of the light it's the apex of the duration and intensity of the light. And then you have spring and autumn that when you measure the amount of hours of the day that the light is present, those two are equal to each other. And then you have fall and winter. And when you measure the amount of time and intensity of the light, those two are equal. So it's a five segmented calendar. <laughs> and you and I are friends with uh, uh, Gabriel, slick dissident. And he and I, like he much more than I, but I'm ruminating on it because he's ruminating on the whole thing with the Enneagram and how deep and far back the Enneagram goes with the nine different humors that that appear as, um, I guess you would say, the, the quality, the, the, let's just say the qualitative effect of the, of the mind. And what's cool about this new calendar is that the weeks are nine days long. So <laughs> Gabriel and I are like, I'm like, okay, if we were going to have a new Monday, you know, not a moon day, but like if we we're going to have a new start of the week, let's say, and have a nine day week, how, how would we do it relative to the Enneagram? And I'm just feeling like this whole thing with light the qualitative and quantitative aspect of it and then having the timing of this in this beautiful phi ratio i just i just freaking figured out i've been building sundials because i saw <laughs> this my my domes like in the mid middle is usually open for like a cupola and it's a pentagramal opening so, so many of my domes, like my customers would want like, you know, to have like a clear polycarbonate over, over the top so the light could filter in. 
and you would actually get, you know, the it's uh, what's it called? The analema. Yeah. I, I never knew any of that stuff when I started building these things. You know, I, I think the first time I ever gave attention to the analema was watching uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway, where he was charting the sun, you know, inside the cave. And I was like, oh, that's an infinity sign. My friend's like, no, that's an analema. And so I was like, whoa. And then I started seeing that in the domes. I'm like, oh, I know what time of year it is by where the sun is. And now I'm thinking this is like a big wink, wink, nudge from God of being like, haha, I had you building, you know, sundials this entire time. And you thought you were building domes just to, you know, for whatever. And so I'm, I'm just like, I want to talk to somebody like I'm talking to you because you know so much about plants, you know, so much about the Ayurvedic um, because you and I are conditioned that way. We're conditioned with Ayurvedic medicine. And so there are different essences and qualities because there are directions of energy. So you can have like in polarity therapy, you can have fire that's coming at you and fire that's going away from you. It feels different. You can have a, a positive po polarity that's coming at you or it's going away from you. It feels different. Like it's a different qualitative thing. And it is different. Like. And when I talk to most people, they have no idea, like fire's hot, <laughs> you know, ice is cold, but there's different, there's different, there's, there's just this whole range of experience with every little nuance of experience. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the, the element of wetness or uh, the quality of wetness, that's the purification of baptism, or that's the uh, the causticness of bile. You know, they're both wet. They both have completely different qualities, and so uh, that makes sense. I was, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, in this little village that I'm at. There's a uh, bell tower, which is the kind of fake Chronos time. It strikes it's, it strikes it at the false set of noon. And then on the bell tower, as if it was permitted by God, <laughs> there is the sundial to show the true, the true light, you know, the true calendar through the sundial. And that's all, and that's awesome too, because um, the thing, you're, as you were saying earlier, when you were talking about harvesting um, on, you know, a different time, the different year, it's not on the same day. It's, a, but it's, it has the same conditions in nature. Yes. And so that's, that's the idea is, is when we're working with something that we want to use as a tool for objective truth, it has to match up to nature. It has to match up to the objective truth and not just nature, but how we can perceive nature through our senses and how we can perceive nature through, and how also nature is speaking to us through that Holy Spirit, as I describe it, the the small, still voice uh, that is going through the, you know, interpretive, uh, non-reasonable channels, you know, these types of things. But it has to be, it has to be able to match up with our senses. That's why we have these senses to, to gauge the, the flavors of hot, <laughs> the flavors of cold um, in, in the plant world, you know, 
We have the, the way that we can taste a plant, will, which will tell us about its quality of how it, is it moving towards us? Does it have that rajasic energy moving towards us? Or is it transforming something further down the line? This is, this is also described in Ayurveda. Is there's, there's the presentation and then there's the lesson that, you lo- that your body learns afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can learn that through your senses. It's very easy to adapt the library and just have, you know, the, in Ayurveda, they're, they're using Sanskrit words, which can be really hard, but we can just use regular <laughs> simple words like um, it's spicy, it's sweet, it's salty. Um, and knowing the effects of something like that, just knowing the effects of when something is spicy, when it has that intensity, when it has that oncoming light kind of a- action t- towards it, it's going to be intense. It's going to have a purification. It's going to have a uh, the result of that on our body is is resistance almost as well. Like our body wants to resist that that type of thing. Um, and then there's a lesson from standing in the resistance as well. All of that comes through our senses, through the flavors. And then of course, that's just the, the that's just taste. I mean, you could see see these signatures. You could see the the the. There's no fooling uh, when you have a, a um, the light coming in at different times. You know, there's no there's no fooling how that appears to your eye it's it's going to be a map it's going to be that particular calendar right there yeah i think that's awesome yeah it's a lot of fun to consider because um in building homes for people i i've i've never formally trained i've just like over years and years and years of working with um different clients that were formerly trained i feel like through osmosis i picked up a lot of the feng shui and vastu principles like in fact usually when you're building a home that has a lot of curvature in it the people that are into that are also into like making sure that you're setting the energetic template of the home according to what's you know most auspicious like what is actually appropriate. And I really, I I love that. Cause to me, once again, you're honoring God, (laughs) you know, by, by being alert to the surroundings, you're honoring nature. You're just like, okay, if the sun rises to the East and you're in the Northern hemisphere, the the arc of the sun is going to be low in the sky during the winter where do you want that that fire and light energy to actually enter the home? If you're doing like any like passive heating or passive cooling systems to homes, like you were talking about in the, the north is like the dark. I built a earth bag home in the tropics where I didn't need a refrigerator because on the north side, earth bags are very thick earthen walls. And on the north side of the building that got no sun, the property had tons of water. So we just made like a little water fountain right in front of where the North was. And then we had a screen right, right where the wall, like right in front of where the water fountain would be on the, on the North of that. And that kept this room, this really small room, like cool, like it never warmed up and it was an off grid earth bag house. And so they didn't need refrigeration. Like you take away the need for refrigeration, like you take away, you know, half of your electric bill, right? Yeah. And so um, 
I really love like, you know, tuning into what the, what the environment is telling you, like south facing slopes relative to north facing slopes. I mean, you must see this all the time with different herbs, right? Like I, I was listening, um, like, you know, on a southern facing slope, you might have one type of wildflower growing where in, in the, in the geographical lo locale, you just walk. Uh, you know, a couple hundred paces on the north facing slope, you'll see totally different types of wildflowers in the yeah. energetic imprint that that is all giving, right? Um, like the rain shadow side, whether or, or uh, relative to the non rain shadow side, like all these things add nuance, like it's so specific with how, how this this beautiful design is working out it's awesome and and applying that uh clinically as well and being let's just say there's a there's a client that has a lot of that they would benefit from the pacification of uh heat you know because their their constitution is as if it were the flower on that south-facing slope and um and so having a, a good understanding of your geography, a good understanding of what, not just like, you know, going out looking for this plant for fever, but looking at the entire ecological perspective and seeing that like, okay, this particular specimen of this plant is in these conditions. And so it's going to be suitable for, you know, what, what I see in a, in a client, I'm going to make these notes as I'm harvesting the plant. I'm going to put these notes onto the bottle. I'm going to put these notes. Uh, and, and because I, you know, I'm the one that harvest and, and making the medicine too. I have a, a really nice library of how I can work with somebody clinically. Now, now there's some things where I might say, uh, you know, the book says that this particular plant isn't really suitable for the name of the condition that they gave me, but I'm not going by names. I'm going by their presentation and the, the way that I'm reading their constitution and I'm the way that I'm assessing their, this particular season of their life or the season that of the year or so on and finding success through these relationships with the plants. And sometimes the plants even will, uh, <laughs> will tell you, uh, in the way that they told you, I don't know if it's audibly or if it's through your heart or how we get messages through the Holy Spirit. But um, to each person, I think it's it's a fun way to develop that. But the, they might say, take me, take me now. Or <laughs> I know that, you, <laughs> no, you can't take me. <laughs> and learning later that uh, the ones that say like, are practically like jumping into your harvest basket, you know, a couple of days later, I'll find like a bulldozer there doing some sort of uh, uh, quote unquote development for a, a new subdivision or something like that, where the plant was really just asking me like, <laughs> come and get it, you know, and not having any prior knowledge of any of that stuff. And then the ones that are telling me, uh, no, now's not the time, um, finding out later through research and geological maps or something like that, that maybe there was, a there was some, uh, contamination of this particular site that I wasn't aware of before. And, um, and I, that's what I love about the plant spirits is because like you were saying, they work slowly. They don't have that linearity built into them. Like we do to exist here. 
Um, and so I do think that there's a, a great relationship with plants and non-linearity and also being there at the time that we need them, being the plants that we need at the time that we need them, when we need them, where we need them. It's so true. <clears throat> and I, 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 let's, let's talk a little bit about the spirits of plants <laughs> because uh, I've had some wonderful interactions um, with what I would consider the spirit of a couple plants. Um, I brought up my involvement with ayahuasca in the past. And when she was done with me, she told me, she's like, I'm done with you. Like, you don't need me anymore. And so I, I mean, that's been, God, now I'm getting old. That's been like six years now. I did it one more time because my wife wanted to try it and she wanted support in it. But I was actually done with that whole that whole thing quite a while back. But that the spirit of ayahuasca was a real thing to me. Now, granted, I was pre-framed that it had a spirit. And so I wasn't coming into it like from a neutral perspective, right? Yeah. Um, but I was done by the time ayahuasca came into my life, I was done having an external savior. I was done with having a guru. I literally told ayahuasca like, and this was a conversation I was having as like the, as the substance was coming through my body. My intention was, was like, if you are a real thing, I wasn't coming at it like you are a real thing and you're a teacher or anything like that. It was like, if you are a real thing, you will be able to show me X, Y, and Z. Only after you show me X, Y, and Z will I actually listen to you. Because I'm I don't want I I don't want a savior. I don't want, I'm not see, seeing this as a salvic thing. Like you, the, my interaction with you is, is more like you're gonna be my science advisor to nature. And what was amazing was she showed me. And my God, was it humbling. Like it literally obliterated my worldview of like how things work in a very good constructive way. Not like I became like less productive or like became like, you know, some recluse or anything. I became more productive and more aware and all the rest of it, right? And there's a very specific feminine quality. There's a feminine spirit to ayahuasca. And the reason why I can say that is in very short order, I was exposed to peyote. <laughs> so in jungle lore, they call the the ayahuasca, they call it the, the grandmother, the abuelita, the little grandmother. It is, it is this old woman that is like, crone, she's a crone and she's talking to you and she shows you death and she's always talking and she's showing you your fears and showing you, um, she's crone in the, in the sense like chronos in the sense that it's like, you get to reap all of the different things that you've been doing to yourself. Here's the reaping. 
<laughs> and so if you have if you're exposed to parasites guess what now you can smell and taste them in your body so there's a purge coming <laughs> oh you've been entertaining these lower order thoughts here they are you know here's the reaping of what having those thoughts are and it like brought that out so it's a very active dynamic uh very feminine energy that's happening and it's very loud and active and it just it only ends when it ends right and then i was with peyote and peyote is known as the grandfather medicine and that's the exact opposite but it still has the same like cleansing effect it's like i'm gonna kill you with silence <laughs> I'm going to get so quiet, like everything, like the, the way the succulents work in my, in, for my dosha is like, when I take any succulent, it could be aloe, you know, <laughs> whatever that succulent is, it's just literally the, I can feel the alkalizing, just like pressing everything down, just like <laughs> through my system and like every part of my body my body gets ultra quiet and it's a deafening quiet mm -hmm. it's so quiet it's literally powering down the death star it's like that's the best way i could say it and like then there's no there there's nothing going on and then you're left with the power of ultimate silence they both are like the grandmother and grandfather. They were like, really like one's wisdom through silence. And the other one is wisdom through death by a thousand paper cuts. Like they're both getting you to that, like serene center, but their qualitative, their quality and their spirit is real. Like it's a real thing. So there's nobody that can tell me that the, the other plants don't have those things. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. they, yeah. they are allies. Like they yeah, all, they, they all have their own, they have their own personality. They're in addition to the uh, grandfather and the grandmother, there's the, there's the crazy uncle. There's the, <laughs> there's the cousin that uh, is, you know, uh, smoking cigarettes at, Thanksgiving. There's all, there's all kinds of, uh, there's some like trickster medicines. There's the ones that are, uh, that have, you know, like a childlike nature. And I think that one thing that's similar about, at least in my experience with all of plant spirits is that they are, uh, they're not there to do your work. Um, and so, modern uh culture that really is asking for pharmacists to blend something up so that it stops the signal in our body um that's like asking and 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 then people that come to herbalism through that kind of like conditioning and pharmacology would ask the plant to stop the signal i just want the green version i want the healthy version of it but instead as an ally, as a good friend, as your loving grandparents would do, um, guide you to that point of personal healing without that external savior, 
And I think that what you just described with um, peyote and, and ayahuasca is so, uh, it, I mean, that, that just reminds me of some healing memories that I have with my own grandparents, but also experiences that I have with plants that will say, look, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll tell your blood to march, but, um, but it's, it's really up to you to change, <laughs> to change the, uh, I don't know, the lifestyle habits and your consciousness and the way that you are integrating these lessons to totally heal. And, uh, you know, I'll walk alongside of you in this healing journey. That's what the plants are doing. And that's what I love about my position is that I, I don't have to have, I don't have to be the intermediary. I'm, I'm the educator in the, the fact that I think that these plant spirits will be the ones that will help you. And I, because of the way that I approach things, I, the people that I attract to work with are already, um, looking for that, you know, that they already have a, a sense of sovereignty. They already have a sense of, uh, wanting, wanting to dismantle a victim consciousness of sorts mm -hmm. and will be, uh, utilizing <laughs> the allyship of the plants in the best particular way so that they can take, uh, attain those lessons. And I think that that's what really the, the, the spirit of the plants is, I really think that that's the gift. That's what they're for. Like that's, that's why they're here. It's not, they're not here to, um, to solve our problems or to reduce our fever or to take away our pain or to end our suffering or to make it so that we don't have to feel pain in our joints or whatever. <laughs> However, because they're powerful spirits, um, they can do these types of things, but I do, I don't think that that honors nature. I don't think that honors God. I don't think that honors ourself. And I think that deprives us of our, of our lesson and, uh, what it means to be, um, you know, healing so so much i guess but that's i think that's the similarity between all the plant spirits is that they all have that way of guiding us being there it's really wonderful and now it, it's really kind of cool going from in the tropics where i live the the forest is essentially different varieties of tropical mahogany to hear in the ozarks the majority of the trees are oak and like in in mm. in um, feeling the difference of the oak forest relative to to the to the to the mahoganies, and I think I sent you a message where, um, you know, I asked you about light demanding plants relative to shade demanding plants, and their the difference in their quality, like because um, that was something in my introduction into permaculture, into um, uh, whatever you call it, biodynamics was in a lot of the biodynamic systems you're doing, uh, you're not only doing preps, but you, you plant in the tropics, at least you plant lots of different um, light demanders because they grow very quickly. And then that ends up becoming your green manure for everything that you, you plant afterwards. And so, um, and then when you also like look at a, a side of a hill that let's say has been clear cut, you, what comes up first are all like the light demanders, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, the big broad leaves and all the things that just like, and when you feel the quality of those plants, they're very watery, they're kind of hollow. 
the the consciousness of the plant is like it's like a little kid it's like it's like playful you know and and fragile playful and fragile is the best way i can say it and then after those have their time you can feel like then the bigger more mature the 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 trees start to come in you know that are not so much light demanding but canopy producing and then when those start to come in the whole flavor of that zone completely changes like what the land had once felt like when all the sunlight was actually touching the ground now now you say are like on an ecotone where you have like now you have half the sunlight hitting the ground and there's like this transition from like this really like wet, playful, fragile to like a more stable, like, you know, structured environment, a more vertically like stable. And now you can feel the change in the ground. Like all these things are so remarkable if you have the, the opportunity to actually observe it. It's uh, things that are coming to my mind right now are um, there's this kind of war against invasive, quote unquote, invasive species. And um, that's been I'm going against, on since. I'm against, the, I'm against that, dude, because I'm an invasive. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm a transplant wherever I've been in life. So I'm like, I'm the invasive species. So fuck you. <laughs> exactly. And it also like it also presumes that we uh with our you know average lifespan ought to ought to know what's best about the timing of a particular ecosystem, right? And so what you were just describing uh could take hundreds of years to come to fruition from the clear cutting to the oak savanna returning in its glorious, you know, Saturnian Jupiterian form of, uh, of a giant massive old tree. And, uh, and so, yeah, what the, the, that's the, the other thing too, is that um, when we're talking about invasive species, we're, it's almost like we're disqualifying our position in time like what what did a relative to our landscape like our local landscape and uh i mean those plants are there because they're not they're not like hatching a plan over in uh you know guatemala to jump over the border and take all of our land you know they're coming over here they're coming over here and they're finding a place to grow because it's permitted through the environment like that's it just like we have uh, in the body where we have, you know, particular areas of growth of, uh, bacteria and such, because they're trying to remediate certain areas. And it's just a matter of, you know, the stage is moving through. And so that's what, that's what I'm thinking about is, uh, the medicine that's available from contemplating invasive species, invasive species, but also how invasive species have that um, gung-ho, ephemeral, um, fragility, youth-like nature to them that you were describing that, that, is, that is really capable of being transmuted into our body for the same purpose of having that like mm, gung-ho youth factor. A lot of plants like garlic mustard and um, kutsu, they're great bioremediators in our own body.
mm-hmm. for example. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it just brings up a, 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 a bigger, a bigger question about the ecology. I'm also thinking about, um, this particular, so there's this plant called Solomon seal and I was doing in my, um, I have a subscription podcast and in my herb of the week, it's called Solomon seal is the plant and Solomon seal. And I'm doing this kind of like lining it up according to like a tropical astrological calendar. And so Solomon seal has a lot to do with like helping the joints. It's very, very nourishing to the joints and has a lot of Saturnian signatures in the way that it looks and the way that it's, um, I mean, the, the rhizome of the plant looks like bones. It looks like intestines. It looks like you dug up some sort of voodoo thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and anyway, so one, uh, I used to have like a stand of this in the wild and the way that it grows is that it likes to grow underneath maple trees. And that's because maple trees have a dense canopy. So, and they have a particular loamy soil that's like well-drained and suitable for this shade loving um, Saturnian, Capricornian, Plutonian, underworld <laughs> spirit plant that likes to speak to the depths of and the hardest places of our body, this uh, structuring the water of the synovial fluid and so on. And it's extremely valuable to me because um, because, because it's just a re- such a reliable medicine and I, so I like to provide a lot of it. And, uh, so one day I'm out harvesting it and my spot that I've been tending to for years and years and years, and I'm in my, um, (laughs) I don't know, commercial mindset and all, and I'm kind of calculating how much did I make last year and how much do you think I'm going to need this year, as opposed to like really tuning in, like I, like I like to do with tobacco and song. And, and I also brought a friend with me. And so I think that that's the reason why I wasn't uh, in that mindset because my friend doesn't have the same like resonance for the natural world. It was, is, is, and so that's why you don't bring people that don't fish to your fishing spots and stuff like that. So, so anyway, uh, I'm in there digging this plant up and um, it's like that, that grandfather where um, because it's a, a plant that has like a lot of polysaccharides and it really works on alkalizing the body. It's not a succulent, but it has that same kind of quality to it, which is interesting that you were bringing that up. And anyway, the only message that I got was that's enough. And I ignored it. I I heard it. I knew it. I knew it was there oh. for me. And I, and I said, yeah, but <laughs> I know you're speaking to me through the poetic side, but uh, logic calculations need to make this much medicine and blah, blah, blah. And so I kept going and I've been tending you for this long and, and, you know, really just trying to reason my way out of this, this message. And, uh, so, and then I got one more message was that's enough after a little bit more. And so I, okay, fine. And I went home and, and, uh, washed the roots and da da da. the next day I woke up and right on the Kronos crown of my head at the very tip top point. If you were to put a skewer right through uh, and put put it right through my uh, my shashumna, right through my axis mundi, and out the top point, right there was a blood sucking deer tick, and uh, it had it embedded itself. And that's the the one that's allegedly the vector for Lyme disease and so on and whatnot. So back then, at the time, I I was like, oh no, um, and I did the same 
whatever protocol I would have done for anything else. But um, that was the lesson. That was the lesson was uh, now I have to take a time out. <laughs> now I have to go through this spiritual fever. I, I need to be, uh, there was like definitely like a, a punishment. And I don't know if the spirit of the plant did that, but it was, I think the spirit of the plant was, was warning me. Not, not that the spirit of the plant was like, all right, now you have to go time out. But it was like, look, if you keep going, uh, then there's going to be some consequences that you're not even aware of, that you're not even foreseeing. Mm -hmm. And so in that week that it took for me to recover and um, in all the things that I did and the time that I took out, I really did have that grandfather lesson of being still, being alone, being with the silence. And, um, and so that was a, a great, a great plant spirit lesson from that, from that particular plant that I, uh, that I respect and appreciate after all, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like, ah, oh, damn it. Uh, got a, a deer tickets. Yeah. Um, I, I knew right away. I knew as soon as I, I saw that up there, I was like, ah, should have listened. <laughs> I, I have a lot of silver maples on this property. What does that plant look like? What's the name and what does it look like? Uh, the botanical name is Polygonatum and it's called Solomon's Seal. It looks like um, a long stem and from it, an array of leaflets. The leaflets attach right to the stem. And that's the signature for, and, and then also the leaflets have uh, have a pattern that move towards the stem. It looks exactly like um, a tendon attaching to a bone. Mm -hmm. Underneath all of these leaflets are a white flower that points downwards. And that flower is a six-pointed star. And it's pointing downwards, which is the signature for... Uh, the light it's hunching over by the way it's got the six pointed hunching um uh you know star of david on it which is really interesting right that's all saturnian and um and then when you dig up the rhizome it has these big huge it looks like ginger like a rhizome like ginger but instead of it being like kind of barky and brown it looks white like a bone and it looks like uh it looks like the intestines and if you were to like cut it with a knife and taste it, it has this really sweet starchy polysaccharide flavor that is lovely. It's really lovely. It tastes like a, a vegetable, but that sweetness, which you could feel in your fingers, it's like, re it becomes really slimy. That's that mucilage, that um, long chain polysaccharides, which are so good for alkalizing the, the mucosal tissues of the body. And it's great affinity is for structuring the water of the body in particular the vertebrae and the knees and the, the larger joints of the body, the elbows, the Saturnian points and the jaw. And, um, and then also it has that, that tendency to work on softening. I think it's also lunar in a way. So it softens the heart. It softens the, the pericardium. It softens the pleura of the lungs. It's a great, great all around medicine, but there's no, to me, there's no better um, remedy for joints than Solomon's seal. Yeah. You know, that makes me think because I, I was listening to Michelle of Michelle's Healing Home and she was really diving into Capricorn, the Capricorn energy, which, you know, has a correspondent with Saturn. 
And in polarity therapy, um, I don't know if you're familiar with polarity therapy, but Dr. Randolph Stone in the 40s and 50s essentially just rebranded Ayurvedic massage, and he called it polarity therapy. Okay. But in the in the teaching of that, essentially, you only have three joints that are considered neutral in the body because they they're supposedly only supposed to swing one way, or on a hinge they swing in in two they only swing one direction but in two ways and that's the jaw the elbows and the knees and so i have solomon seal like i i've seen that plant at, around my maples i didn't know what it was but i do have that and it it's also like it's in a thicket of where a lot of my blackberries like to grow so i'm like now i'm excited for when when they when it comes when it blooms to like actually be with it because I didn't I I'm just new to the Ozark so like I don't I don't know anything <laughs> I'm really just kind of like just trying to get a feel and observe what's going on but I was wondering when she was talking about Capricorn with all the the indications from Saturn you know I never got a neutral feeling from Saturn like when I consider Saturn and I'm wondering, like we're talking about the direction of light and how it feels like depending on what direction it's coming from. Um, maybe I'm reconsidering like neutral could be at the end of a reaping, right? So at the beginning and during the reaping, it can be kind of intense, right? Cause Saturn has that, that, that quality to it of the reaper of the harvester well not necessarily the harvester but the the um the auditor <laughs> but maybe at the end of the audit there is a now now you're back to like sort of like libra the scales like you're you're now back in balance maybe that's the neutral aspect cuz i'm i'm just trying to make that correspondence with these these huge hinge joints in our body considered neutral because that's like a very big thing for me in my body practice is like getting getting the getting a body back into like a neutral harmonic and so there's only three joints that are neutral according to dr randolph stone so i was wondering if you had any insight into that um saturn Having a relationship with Capricorn and Aquarius uh, classically, and both of those particular periods of the year, to me, are the stillest, most mm -hmm. quiet times of the year. Nice. But the way that I the way that I feel it in my body is that it's. Uh, I was watching my son the other day. I was watching him play with a little wind up uh, toy where you you take the wheels and you pull it back. And then you take the wheels and you pull it back again. And then yeah. you take the wheels and you pull it back again. And then, boom, and then it's off. And so it's not neutral in uh, the way that it is when it's just, you know, on the floor. It's neutral in the way that it has that potential for uh, that spring. And that's the way that I was feeling. Um, actually being here away from, you know, my home and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, uh, thinking about how I want to get back and make all these new year's resolutions and, and, and spring forward. 
but really feeling the neutrality of the season as the 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 thing that's pulling me. It's the it's the energy itself of Saturn that is con- condensing it and saying like, in order to go out head first in Aries and not hit your head on the pole, you have to uh, you have to think about you know, the whole year ahead first. And so to me, that's, that's the neutrality is, is more like, um, uh, it's, it, it's not just the car in neutral. It's the, it's the car that's trying to drive, but can't because <laughs> some other type of force upon it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I feel that with Solomon seal too, because Solomon seal has an affinity for tightening what needs to be tightened and loosening what needs to be loosened in addition to moistening. Um, and I think that it's, it's actually through the vector of water structuring that it helps, that it helps tighten what needs to be tightened and loosen what needs to be loosened. And, um, yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I, the, it, this, it's so amazing. Like, it's just like, it's mind blowingly complex and simple at the same time. It, it really is when you really start like because the subtleties lend to the notion of how complex it is but then when you look at the throughput line to all of it it's all so simple yeah it's it, it's funny isn't it yeah this, especially just getting in with nature and just being like that's wow we were supposed to be able to learn this stuff we don't have to go to this to the seminary <laughs> to learn how to study the scriptures in order to know our creator um, these signs they're given to us through, I mean, and I'm learning them through, through a child too, by the way, which is <laughs> a great way of learning too. I, I know that, you know, that as a father is just, wow. Oh, okay. That's, that's how simple it is. So if, if in, in my mind right now, you're kind of rebranding the Saturn energy, which is really awesome. I'm all for like, you know, redefining things or coming to a different vista of of that energy saturn if saturn is in is in a rulership of both aquarius and also capricorn when you come into pisces so like to me pisces is the end of the year it's the end of the astrological year it's the end of the maseroth in the body pisces represents the feet <laughs> you know like if if you have capricorn is the knees and in you know shin area or you consider aquarius ankle shin like it's lower leg you get to the end and it's the feet and the feet are cool because if you if you know anything about reflexology oh, yeah. every little nerve ending and it's not really nerves now we know it's it's the fascia that gets back to the whole notion of, um, you know, the the standing columnar wave is that essentially the feet, you can touch parts of the feet, and we do this in polarity therapy, and they, they correspond to every other part of the body. And it's really awesome. The law of correspondence, boom, it's there in Pisces. If you've ever known Pisces people, like... They can be any anything within the Maseroth. <laughs> they can present phasically whatever whatever the energy is that's coming at them because they're so mutable, right? 
what is as we as because we're gonna post this soon and we're gonna be you know in aquarius for a month or so more and then pisces what plant shows up as pisces like what what plant is a piscean plant plantain ah planta planta so you have when i say plantain you you the the costa rican might have the banana looking thing on your mind but here in north america and all throughout the midwest we also have one that that is so soft to walk on and it's also like one of the names of it is footprint and it just it likes to go where we like to go and it likes um the downtrodden earth and it likes to restore the 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 earth that's what it likes to do it says Oh, there's a sidewalk here. I see you put a sidewalk here. Let me just grow through the cracks and break it apart and turn it back into the oak forest for you. I'll start start starting with me, um, but not not in the Aries mustard kind of way, but in the Piscean like gentle, mutable. It's half concrete, half uh, yard now that kind of thing. Um, and plantain is so mutable. It's astringent. And it is moistening, like it's drying and moistening at the same time. It is, uh, it is, it's pulling, like it pulls things out, but it also has the capacity to like seal things in. It works definitely on the water aspect of the body through the that intercellular fluid. Um, and then I always call it, I call it the path healer. That's like my little nickname for it because. It heals the paths that we're on. It likes to be in around people. So it's a people plant. It's suitable for everyone. And when we, if we were to drink a tea of, of uh, plantain, it really helps with the inner path of the body. It helps with like Im improving the tone and the mucosal tissue of people that have like uh, leaky guts and stuff like that. It's really helpful for improving our path all the way down. And so you can meditate on what that might mean as far as path, uh, your path ahead, um, you know, the path, the path behind <laughs> all of that stuff comes to mind in Pisces when people get kind of sentimental about that and the act and when, you know, Aries time of year, it's time to go. Um, okay. Well, we thought about it. It's time to go now. No more thinking <laughs> in the Pisces time. It's, uh, it's right there on your feet. It grows with your feet and there's nothing better for healing and i really think about that about the pisces too i have some pisces in my life there's a lot of pisces that are on my staff and so they have a great ability to yeah like you said mutate in and out of whatever roles but also being very receptive to healing as well and and being people 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 um so there's that's what there's there's one great example planta the plantain the plantar the the uh plantago is the botanical name and planta go <laughs> you're muted you're muted there you are i got a, a a wily golden retriever and a wily daughter that are going nuts right now um, <laughs> i think i think that's a great place for us to to end the podcast I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I really look forward to learning more from you. Um, I'm definitely going to subscribe to your podcast. That that really, the Root Radical podcast, because 
you know, just like invasive species come into our life to kind of like modify our consciousness. I never, ever thought as a, you would think with my last name, Gardner, <laughs> that I would be into it growing up, but I I wasn't. It wasn't until I moved all around the world and then like these herbs and plants were just like being foisted upon me and they were all like, hey, wake up, come on. You, you got to understand this. Anything from a hallucinogen to like, you know, a, a cleanser, like what whatever was needed was presented. And so I really respect what it is you do and how you present it. Like you present it so clear. And um, also like with a little bit of like an artistic flair to how you present it. And it, it really lands for me when you're making these descriptions. So I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. And I appreciate your work too. It's an honor to come on and uh, consider you a mentor and uh, listening to your podcast once in a while and having some great guests on that are, it's, this is a great learning experience for me too. So thank you so much for having me on. Wonderful, Kyle. Well, enjoy the rest of your time in Italy. And the next time you're in the Ozarks, come on by because we got a lot going on. Right on, man. All right, we'll be in touch. All right, sounds good, my friend. You ought to know Well now you You ought to know by now I hope you've enjoyed the podcast with Kyle Denton of Tippy Canoe Herbs. He is a wealth of information. Go to tippycanoeherbs.com. Uh, check out his Radical Root podcast. I believe that's a pay-for-play pay type podcast. Or uh, listen to his Astro Herbalism with Chance Garten on the Interverse podcast. It's, uh, it's just a wealth of information. I'm going to be talking with Michelle of Michelle's Healing Home. Um, and then I'm going to be talking with, I believe his name is Tom Sherman, the, the person who has created the new calendar. And the reason why I wanted to have these three people in a row is because we're looking at time and light. What do we actually consider time? What is time other than just a duration in which activity can occur? There's a very specific nature to light and time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's something I haven't fully figured out. And I know I've listened to Michelle of Michelle, Michelle's Healing Home. She's, I believe, the partner of Mario Garza of Symbolic Studies, which we had on earlier. And listening to her in the way that she talks about certain herbs during certain uh, periods of time, I know that she's sensitive to the nature of light and time. I first touched on it with my podcast with Mr. Permi Bear, Adam Stevens, where I brought up how um, how light has a different quality, whether it's coming at you or moving away from you. We got into it more with Kyle uh, today, and I really want you to consider it. Um, because there are certain holy books that talk about the different quality of light. Light that's coming from the east is different than the light that's coming from the west. And 
it's fun to see if your body is sensitive to that. Um, we are getting bigger and better here at the BioCharisma podcast. I am renovating my office. Next time you see it, I'll have new floors, new walls, new ceiling, new, new bookcases. Um, we've ripped my house open, so I'm recording in a very cold room right now. We're, we've been sub, sub-zero temperatures for two days now. Today it was a balmy seven degrees Fahrenheit, so uh, we're warming up here. But uh, yeah, stay warm and cozy with wherever you're at. And uh, if you appreciate the podcast, please reciprocate. Reciprocate if you appreciate. Um, you can send a, a analog super chat, which I've been getting killer analog super chats. Thank you guys so much. Um, I received some of the grandfather medicine in the mail. Um, for those of you who don't know, listen to the podcast again. Um, I've I've gotten fascies, you know, after talking with Martin Leakey, which by the way, I'm gonna be talking with Martin Leakey and Jason Brashears again. Uh I've gotten like DVDs of like classical music or classical, I should say classic rock, which <laughs> I have no idea how that was ever interpreted that I would like something like that, but that's come through. I appreciate it all. And I know I've been like the the terrible at uh, expressing directly when I receive a um, a super chat because uh, there's no excuse. I'll, I'll get better at that. I'm going to start doing live shows with different uh, guests probably by the time you hear this. I will have already been on with Longo and his brother. Um, so it's all good stuff. We, we're growing. We're getting better. And um, I'm going to be start giving presentations um, where there's visuals and things like that. So thank you for being with us over a year. I think we have like 60 podcasts in the can. So that's awesome. <laughs> that tripled my uh, previous uh, output when I first did my podcast years ago. Speaking of which, we might get Michael Joseph back. Uh, he and I have been in contact with each other. So that's exciting. So I hope all is well wherever you are in this Capricornian January season. Hope you're getting everything in order for for winter because winter is coming. <laughs> um, oh, check us out in the Telegram chat. That thing's blowing up. I think we have like 700 members right around there. The The amount of input of good, fresh ideas is awesome. Um a bunch of us are doing turpentine cleanses, so we have weird things coming up our bodies right now, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> we're, we're having a lot of fun on, on the chat, so hope you enjoy it, and look forward to hearing or seeing you uh, next week.